0: Thank you, choir and musicians. That was a a great ministry, like the rushing of a mighty wind, to be in the presence of God, to see God at work, to see God on the move. And that's what we get to join in. Let's pray. Father, we are really grateful for your mercy and grace bestowed on us in so many ways. Today, we do think of the men and women who have served so that we might still worship freely and experience the safety and prosperity that we do as families here in this country. And our hearts go to them, Lord, those who have paid that supreme price. We ask for comfort and encouragement for the families who have lost loved ones. but meet their needs. We think of those who have uh, been inflicted with serious injuries and all the things that they have experienced because of their sacrifice. And Lord, I ask that you would be gracious to them and merciful to them. And then this morning as we gather, we are again asking that your spirit would come like the rushing of a mighty wind and stir us to what you are doing in building your kingdom and bringing glory to the name of Jesus Christ. Father, call us to enter in fully and without hesitation to those things that you are doing in building your church. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a delightful service for me in many respects. The first and chief of those is the fact that I yet again have the opportunity to open God's Word, and we're actually in an account of the gospel breaking down barriers, which is a very exciting thing to do. One bittersweet note is that this happens to be the last week for Sue and I to be here at Christ Church, and uh, there'll be some other comments about that, but that's a a thing we're experiencing this morning. And I just have to say, in terms of having ourselves together, we about lost it this morning. Um, Yesterday was a busy day, And I met my brother before 7 o'clock at his house to go to our cabin and work all day, putting a roof on this garage we're building up there. And my son joined us from Pittsburgh. His wife and my other children came to our house. So I rode back with him instead of my brother, ended up at our house. All of that just to explain why when Sue and I walked out at 7.50 this morning to come to church, there was no car in our driveway. That was a bit of a predicament, actually, because uh, I thought I really should come to church today. She wanted to come as well. But uh, I remembered, oh, yes, my car is at my brother's house. And since I took a ride with my son, I don't have that. Now, fortunately, I do have a pretty big scooter in the garage. And so at 750, we got the scooter out. And even though it was about 45 degrees out there in Beaver this morning, my wife bravely got on the back of that scooter, and here we are. So uh, just so you know... I think it took pretty much an hour and a half before her body temperature came back up to 98, but we're here anyway and very glad to be here. I don't want to really uh, distract us from this story, however, because it is such a great story of God's work of mercy. The story is found in Acts chapter 10, and it's actually the longest narrative in either of Luke's books when he wrote a lot, actually, of the New Testament and the Gospel of Luke and the account of Acts. But for some reason, there's something so important going on that he really wants us to understand what it is that God was up to. And we're going to find that probably the easiest way to follow this story is to see it as, as if it were a play in seven scenes, seven different uh, occupied experiences. So if you start in chapter 10, we'll look at verse 3. This is uh, the scene one in the story about this Roman centurion who we call Cornelius. One day, at about three in the afternoon, Cornelius had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius? Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. And so this is scene one. It's this Roman centurion who was a man who was used to having people under his rule. He was used to exercising power and authority. He was a soldier among soldiers. He was also a Roman living in Caesarea, which was, in essence, the model city the Romans had built in the land of Palestine. So that they could celebrate and have all their Roman experiences with their Roman gods and their uh, attitudes towards Caesar, which is why it was named Caesarea. And so he was in the midst of that culture. And yet, where most of his Roman soldiers mocked the Jews and battled the Jews, somehow in Cornelius' heart, he got a hunger to know the God of the Jewish nation. And so he regularly would pray and seek God. And he would regularly understand that part of trying to be in a relationship with this God who loves justice and mercy would be that he should also care for the poor. And so he generously gave to the poor. Well, on this day in scene one, an angel of the Lord, the Lord himself comes and speaks to Cornelius. And he doesn't say, I'm going to tell you what you need to know, Cornelius. He sends Cornelius to go find this Jewish fisherman named Peter. And right away, he's got to think, wait a minute, Lord, will he come? I mean, I'm a Roman, I'm a Gentile, and he's a Jew. But he faithfully sends those messengers off to find Peter. That brings us to scene two. And one of the things we carry with us is the acknowledgement that God was clearly at work before Peter got there, before the gospel was preached. God was sovereignly working in Cornelius' heart. Then scene two is what was happening on Peter's side. We'll pick it up in verse, uh, let's do 12 in chapter 10. Peter also was a man of prayer, and he had gone up around noon to pray on this rooftop, and this is what happened. Verse 11, he saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. Have a picture in your mind of that happening. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So what's happening in scene two? Scene one, Cornelius has a vision. Scene two, Peter's in prayer and he has a vision. Actually, we'd have to probably call it a nightmare for Peter. He was probably hungry when he went up to that porch roof to pray. It was noon hour. And yet, what he saw was this offering of these animals, which were totally unclean for him as a Jewish man to eat. And we have to understand some of us might be repulsed at just the thought of a reptile and the thought of eating that and uh, not really even wanting to take one of these other animals, maybe a small pig or something, and think about the butchering process. But that wasn't Peter's problem. Peter was a fisherman. He could handle cleaning animals and doing his own cooking, thank you very much. The thing that was a huge issue for Peter was he was a set-apart Jewish man. 1,500 years of his culture, understanding that God wanted them separate from the Gentiles, separate from the pagans, separate from the Philistines. And part of the way they practiced that separation was to have a whole group of animals and food that they would not eat as a separate people. And so Peter has this vision, and he sees these animals. And his first response is not, okay, God, whatever the plan is, what's for lunch? His first thought was, no, never. There's no way I'm abandoning being Jewish. There's no way I'm turning my back on our culture and my family and my friends and letting my reputation be torn to shreds by taking of that food. I spent my whole life not doing that. And this was the beginning of God teaching Peter a profound lesson about how God's heart was for the whole world, not just the Jewish nation. And God's heart was not only to reconcile himself to those people, but to reconcile those people one to another, Jew and Gentile, slave and free. And that's part of what was happening here with Peter. But as we know, prejudice dies hard, doesn't it? This was not a simple lesson for Peter. So, what does Peter do? Scene three. Uh, After Peter had had that vision, and three times God repeated the same thing for him. God's really patient with us, you know, when he's teaching us something new. And he understands how hard it is to change. And so after that, these three men come, sent from Cornelius to the house where Peter's staying. And God told Peter specifically, men are coming, it's okay for you to go with them. So Peter goes down, and they're knocking on the door, And he lets them into the house. He, in fact, welcomes them into the house and invites them to spend the night. Now, here's a profound first step for Peter because Jews were not supposed to show that kind of hospitality to Gentiles. And it wasn't just that these people were Gentiles. They were Romans. They were occupiers. They were the ones who had their boot on the neck of the nation of Israel. And yet, Peter welcomes them into the house. And you have to kind of imagine, what was that like? I mean, having somebody that was from such a different culture come into your house. I imagine maybe Peter was serving breakfast and said, what are we having? We're having eggs. Oh, can we have some bacon with that, Peter? Uh, We don't do bacon in our house, thank you very much. Well, Peter, you keep asking us to wash our hands before this and before that. What's all that about? Are you guys really, like, hyper clean or something? No, it's just what God instructed us to do. Well, by the way, Peter, um, like, where's the restroom, you know? Well, the Jews even had special things that God had instructed them about how they were to use the bathroom. And so these two different cultures are spending this night trying to get acquainted, and I suspect there were some awkward moments. But we should note that Peter took that first step by welcoming these people in and offering them hospitality. So now we get to the next scene. This is scene four. First, Cornelius has a vision. Second, Peter has a vision. Then, these messengers come. And scene four is Peter traveling to the house of Cornelius. Let's look in uh, chapter 10 at verse 25. Um, well, verse 24. The following day, Peter arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. And so this is how this um, greeting, this uh, housewarming party starts. Verse 27. Talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or to visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask, why did you send for me? So what do we see in Peter's experience here? Uh, The first thing he had started with was having those messengers stay in his house. But actually, his Jewish neighbors might have said, Well, that's not good, but we do appreciate in this Eastern culture hospitality. There's no motels, so we might find a way to get over that. But the fact that you, Peter, went to their house, you took the initiative to go over, and not just any Gentile's house, but a Roman centurion who lords it over us, and you went and stayed at his house... Are you telling me that's what you did, Peter? And that's exactly this journey that Peter went on. And the first thing he says when he gets in the house is, you know this is against my religion for me to be here and staying with you guys, right? And yet, I've got to tell you, God is doing something new. And he's telling me that if he calls something clean, it is clean. Not because they're particularly Jewish. And so that's kind of the thing that's unfolding in this situation. Peter is saying, I realize that God is doing something very different than I anticipated. It's bigger than I thought, and honestly, it's perhaps better than I thought. Because he's not just limiting himself to blessing Israel, he's got a plan to bless the whole world, and I'm getting in on it. And it's interesting to see the role that hospitality played in building bridges and knocking down barriers. And so now, Peter finds himself at the house of Cornelius, and he closes with a simple question. Why did you send for me? What is it you want to know? We love it when people ask questions like that, don't we? You seem to go to church quite often. What is it that you go there for? What do you expect to get out of that? You seem to uh, take your religion quite seriously. Why does it mean so much to you? All kinds of opportunities that come up in questions like this one. So we're going to go into the next scene and see what happens. This is now scene five. Peter's at the house of Cornelius. Verse 34, they'd explained that they sent for him because God told them to. So then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. He still has to start with that point. You know, I I see now that God is in this. And while I have not really wanted ever, ever, ever to be in the home of a Gentile, I can see that God wanted me to be here and that God is at work in your lives. And so I'm getting it, basically, is what Peter says about what God is doing. Verse 35, he's not a shower of favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and who do what is right. And so that's the start of what Peter mentions. But I want you to see that the next thing Peter's going to talk about is not himself. He doesn't go from there and do a big sermon to say, well, you should come to Jerusalem and see the church that I'm leading. I mean, I'm only a fisherman. I never even was a priest. I certainly wasn't a Pharisee. I've never been a teacher of the law. But God has made me the head of the church in Jerusalem. And I've even done some pretty amazing miracles. You should come check it out. That's not what Peter says. Listen to what Peter says uh, in answer to the yearning of their heart to know the God of Israel. We'll pick it up in verse 39. Let's see. Let me back up a little bit. Verse 37, sorry. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus. So, Peter starts telling them about Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with them. Certainly, you Romans even have heard about Jesus, haven't you, and all that he's been doing, and imagine they had heard all of those things. Verse 39, we are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Now listen to this. He's before this Roman audience. He's just reminded him of Jesus and the fact that God's hand was clearly on him. And then he says, they killed him by hanging him on a tree. Who killed Jesus? Here's this Jewish man with uh, all the heritage of 1,500 years of culture behind him in front of the Romans, and he acknowledges the Jews have killed Jesus, the one God sent and anointed. But verse 40... But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by the witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God anointed as judge of the living and the dead. And so here's this group of Romans sitting, and they're hearing Peter say, You know, this is all that Jesus did, but then they killed him. They hung him on a tree. He died a sacrificial life. He was a perfect man, sinless, but he died for you and for me. And I'm a witness of that. I actually had meals with Jesus after he came back from the grave. I was with him. I let him teach and minister to me. I touched him. We broke bread together. And so Peter is telling them all that Jesus had done and who he was. And it was a wonderful opportunity for the gospel. And Cornelius, you can imagine his heart. He wanted to know the God of Israel. And now he's finding out the God of Israel had sent his own son to die for Cornelius so that he could be forgiven, so that he could be reconciled and have a right relationship with that God. And it didn't require a trip to Jerusalem, it didn't require circumcision the thing that Peter advocated was, you need to believe in Jesus. Repent and believe. And so that was Peter's message, fairly simple, very strong. And uh, we should learn from him about how to focus our talk on the life of Christ and the person of Christ and the effect of Christ in being able to bring people to newness of life. So Peter's in the midst of this big sermon, and then we metamorphosis into scene six at the house of Cornelius. You know, if you're a preacher, you really want to finish strong. You want to have a good illustration at the end. You want to wrap up. But this is what happened before Peter got to finish his sermon. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So, scene six is God in action. Peter's doing his thing. He's faithfully obeying. He was commanded to share the gospel. He's sharing the gospel. But before he even finishes, before he gets to do the invitation before he actually has closed his arguments, the Holy Spirit is poured out like a rushing wind in that house. And those people start speaking in tongues. Let's go back a few moments in the book of Acts and realize that's what happened to Peter when he was at the, gathered with the apostles, and the Holy Spirit came to them. They spoke in tongues, and it provided the opportunity for them to share the gospel, and 3,000 people believed. After trouble happened in Jerusalem, people started fleeing the city, sharing the gospel in different places. Some went to Samaria, another group of people Peter wasn't too happy with, people that Peter didn't like very much because they were half-breeds. But they heard they were responding to the gospel, so Peter and John went down there, and when Peter got there, God used him sovereignly by the laying on of hands and praying for those people for the Holy Spirit to come. And those people spoke in tongues, which convinced Peter and his cohorts this is really God. He's doing this. No man can control this. We can see the very evidence that God has come on the Samaritans, just like he came on us Jewish boys up there in Jerusalem. Amazing. And now he's in the house of a Roman soldier. And these people were the enemy, the stated enemy of his nation. They were the ones that brought no uh, glory or help, but only shame and discouragement. And he's sharing the gospel with these very Roman soldiers, and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, came on that place, shook those people, and they spoke in tongues, which caused the Jewish believers from Jerusalem to be amazed. Because you know what they knew? Whoa, these people are now acceptable to God. God Himself is embracing these people, God Himself is including them in himself. The Holy Spirit of the living God is now living in these people. Can you imagine? They couldn't. They were shocked at this. It was a wonderful day, but it was a day when they had to let go of a lot of their past identities, a lot of things that they thought made them important and significant, being Jewish and how long they'd been Jewish and how many uh, generations they could trace back of their Jewish lineage. But in this case, Jesus is showing that he is building his church, and he's not a respecter of persons. Anybody can be adopted and brought in, and if they're adopted and brought in, they become part of the family. And so Peter had to change his way of thinking in order to be participating with what God was doing. And again, we want to see that while Peter was being faithful, God himself was at work. While story closes with scene seven... Not just this great revival there in the house of Cornelius, not just these number of people that came to faith, but Peter now goes back to Jerusalem, and he was right when he was worried about fellowshipping with Gentiles, because it was going to cause some trouble. Let's look at chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So that message is going out. Not just all the things that Jesus had done, not just Pentecost, not just the Samaritans, but they're hearing that some of the apostles actually went to a Roman city, ministered to Gentiles, and they had come to faith. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, those that were good Jews like him, criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? So I want you to picture that. Peter gets home. And Jerusalem is where he's now head of the church. He has a lot of respect there. People are looking to him for leadership. But he gets back, and they say, Peter, boy, we hear you've been hanging out with Gentiles. It can't tell us it isn't so. And not only Gentiles, but Roman soldiers. Is that really true? Did you actually stay at their house, Peter? Well, it turns out, after Peter had seen them come to faith, he extended his stay and stayed several days with Cornelius. Because, you see, I think Peter understood, this is my new family. God is forgiving them and cleansing them and uniting them with me in Christ like he is any other Jewish man or woman. And so he stayed probably to teach them and encourage them and to show connectedness with them through fellowship. So now he's back in front of these Jewish guys, and they're criticizing him. And he's probably feeling the heat. So what he does is probably what any of us would do. Hey, don't blame me. God did it. It wasn't my idea. I never dreamed. Well, I did have a dream. Oh, let me tell you the whole story. So he goes back through the whole thing. He said, Cornelius, this Roman soldier, had a dream, and he was told to come and find me. Meanwhile, I had a dream, and I was told not to call anything or anyone unclean that God said was clean. So that was a new thing for me to think, and I told God originally, no. I did. I told God no. And then he told me three more times, and I finally understood, oh, God's doing a new thing. God's doing a brand new thing, and I want to get in on it. So I went, just like God told me. And I got to his house. He gathered all these friends and neighbors, and they were ready to hear from me. And I started preaching the same message we've been preaching in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. You know, the story about Jesus and his death and his burial and his resurrection and the glory of his spirit being released in Jerusalem. And as I was telling them that story, the Holy Spirit came on that place. And they started speaking in tongues, and there was no question that the living God was in that place in Romans. What was I supposed to do? And so as they listened to that story, which again is the longest narrative in the book of Acts, they said, oh, we we get it too. God is up to something new. Turns out God has a heart for everyone, for all the nations. And it turns out that it's not easy to learn these things. It's not easy to overcome our prejudice. But, you know, there's even something more at play here that's not easy to overcome. It's not easy to overcome fear of what other people think. We're so prone to worry about, if I do this, if I reach out to this person, if I develop a friendship with these people, what will people think? What will my family think? What will my coworkers think? What will people at church think if I start spending my time with those people? And that was one of the hardest things for Peter to overcome. In fact, we see in Galatians, he traveled over there when Paul had a ministry uh, with the people of Galatia. And he joined into that ministry and he was fellowshipping and sharing meals, Jews and Gentiles, just like he'd learned here. But then some other boys came down from Jerusalem. And they were good Jewish boys. And they were still keeping the law. They wouldn't fellowship with Gentiles, even if they were in Christ. And eventually Peter quit eating with the Gentiles. And he just ate with the Jews because he didn't want to lose the respect of his friends. And Paul had to speak in his face and say, Peter, you don't get it yet, do you? God loves everybody. And anybody that's in Christ is a new creature. And they are our brothers and sisters if the Spirit of the living God lives in them. And you need to enter into this, Peter. You're being a phony in what you're doing. So I guess the question is, Christ Church, what is God wanting to teach us through this whole thing? There's some really... uh, important things to learn. First and foremost is to learn God's heart. God loves the nations. God said, I've got a plan to call people from every tongue, from every tribe, and from every nation into the kingdom. And the ministry of reconciliation, what Jesus died for, he didn't just die so that we could have a right relationship with God in a vertical plane. He died so that all of our battling and fighting and problems with one another could be reconciled. He died to empower us for reconciliation. And that's what the gospel is meant to do. Second thing we should remember is that God is the initiator of all this. We don't have to worry about our scheme. How can I talk to somebody? How would I ever know someone who's different? We need to understand what we see in this story is how it always works. God is at work in people in Pittsburgh right now, putting a hunger in their heart For himself. And you might be the one that he's willing to use to go and share the gospel, the good news, the story that has power to bring people from death to life of who Jesus is and what he did for them because of the love of God. And that's how God works. He initiates, but for whatever reason, he insists on using people like you and me, just like he used Peter. He opens the doors, but he asks us to go through them. Sometimes he might be asking us to do some uncomfortable things, like it was uncomfortable for Peter to go to that Roman soldier's house. I don't know in your circle of friends or co-workers or um, neighbors, um, you know, you guys might be in all kinds of clubs or have different situations where you have a circle of people that you touch that nobody else really touches, that unique circle. Is there someone in that circle that God is saying to you, I want you to show the love of Christ to that person? In word and or deed I want you to take the initiative I don't want you just to wait and say well if they come knocking on my door I'll invite them in I want you to be like Peter and I want you to go and knock on their door and say may I make a connection with you who might that be is there somebody already you know I mentioned earlier we have a I don't know something like 700 750,000 international students in America they come from most of the world to our doorstep to study Over 75% of those students who come will never get in an American home the four years that they're here. They'll live in a dorm. They'll live in rented housing. They'll never get invited to share a meal with an American while they're here. Would God have us be the ones to initiate through hospitality, sharing the love of Christ? I think there's a grand opportunity there. Another thing that I've observed, uh, you know, this is Memorial Day, a significant day for us as a country, a significant day to remember those who faithfully served. But there's another interesting thing that happened with our wars. Uh, after the Second World War, you know, we basically mobilized everybody, didn't we? It was a great effort as a nation. And we took people from the farms and from our factories and from our cities, and we sent them overseas in massive numbers, many who had never left America before. They never would have dreamed of getting a passport and going to Europe or someplace. But they went to Africa, and they went to Europe, and they went to all these places in Asia, and they went there for our country. But They, many of them also had the spirit of the living God in them, and they realized, whoa, I think maybe God cares for these people. I would have never dreamed I could come here, but I came here for the army. Perhaps I could be trained and come here for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God. And so after the Second World War, record numbers of people signed up to go overseas as missionaries. Tens of thousands went. And the harvest was in the millions. Phenomenal change around the world, particularly in Africa, because people obeyed and realized, wow, I went to Africa as a soldier. Perhaps I could go back as someone in the ministry of reconciliation, sharing the love of Christ and seeing those miracles take place. I believe that's true. I believe that's the day we live in. I wonder if some of our men and women who have lived in Iraq and Afghanistan, when in most cases they are not allowed to proselytize while they're there for a lot of complicated reasons, instructed by our government not to do so. But I wonder if God's going to put it on their heart to say, you know, I realize living there that God cares for these Iraqis. God cares for these Afghans. Maybe he wants me to go back to share the gospel with them. Ultimately, I'm convinced God wants us sharing the gospel out of this place here in Pittsburgh and continuing to use Christ church. He's used us in the past. I have no doubt that He wants to use us in the future to share the love of Christ. And perhaps we would be wonderfully blessed if He allowed us to bridge more and more barriers, culture barriers, race barriers, educational and economic barriers with the love of Christ. As I mentioned, this is our last week, and I just want to say it has been such a privilege to minister here. My wife and I have enjoyed this. It's been rich. Uh, We have a, a bitterness of leaving part of our hearts here as we go. But God's giving us the privilege of going back to help mobilize people who are trying to get the gospel to places in Africa where they have yet to hear the gospel for one time. There's over 700 unreached people groups that we want to help mobilize people to take the gospel to them. And so God wants to put on our hearts that we should care for them, but we should also care for the ones that live in your neighborhood. Uh, a week or so ago, I got a card from a visitor here at Christ Church. They loved the service. They loved the church. They loved the facility. They loved the music. It was a very positive card until it got to the last line. They said, you know, the whole time we were at Christ Church, not one person greeted us. And I know Christ Church is a big church, and a lot of times we see people and we think, well, probably somebody knows them. I don't. And we think they might be a visitor, but actually I hate to embarrass them or myself by asking if they're a visitor because they probably have been here for two years and I never met them. But honestly, do you understand that God is going before us, opening doors of ministry? And we need to even come to church asking God, do you have somebody you want me to speak to today? Somebody I should encourage, somebody I should reach out to? And I shouldn't just stop feeling that way when I leave the church. When I go to the picnics, when I go to work, when I go in my neighborhood, when I have my family gathered, when I have that sensitivity like Peter had, okay, who do you want me to tell the good news of Jesus Christ to? Let's pray. Father, I do thank you again for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your love. Father, we are so excited about the way you are building your kingdom and calling your church into existence all around the world in Asia and Africa and here in North America, here in Pittsburgh, even in our North Hills area. Father, we want to participate. Would you help us have sensitive hearts? Forgive us for our prejudice and the things that we resist you about. And help us to see what a wonderful thing it is to be part of the ministry of reconciliation for your glory. And so that we might know the joy of fellowship with new believers who have the same Holy Spirit that we have because of the mercy of God. We make that our prayer in Jesus name. Amen.